You know, we get around this uh, season of Easter and it's, um, it seems like it never fails. There's, there's always a group of people or an onslaught, a wave of things where people are trying to disprove the resurrection. Uh, people who are trying to rewrite Christianity. Uh, individuals who are trying to tell us that, that if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you're a believer in the resurrection, that you've got it all wrong and that there is no God and, and uh, just the world is its own and, and, and don't even worry about it. And, and honestly, I get sick and tired of hearing that kind of talk. But it doesn't discourage me. It makes me want to share even more greatly the good news that comes in Jesus Christ. And my hope and prayer is that today when, when you leave here, when we all leave here today, we don't just button it all up and go home and say, woo, had Easter service, woo, have a nice dinner, uh, woo, hunted Easter eggs and all, but that we take this faith story with us and that we make something come out of it and we make it, we make it real. So this morning, I'm going to give you a, a couple of things to look at that we'll look at together, three things in specifically that we'll look at that, in my opinion, proves the resurrection is real. And there are tools that you can use uh, to take with you out into your school, into your workplaces, uh, wherever it is that you happen to hang out, um, and, and some great things. But to get there, we've got to answer a, a really big question, and that question is, what happened that first Easter? What happened that first Easter? Now, the odds are that many of us, if you've, if you've been connected with a church in some way, whether uh, in Sunday school or whether uh, your parents uh, read you some scripture or even have some friends who uh, are pouring into you, some of us or most of us or maybe even all of us in the room have had some exposure to Easter and to the resurrection. And we've come to understand some bits and pieces, and we know that, that all four Gospels mention it, but yet there's differences in all the accounts and, and how many angels and how many people and was Jesus there or wasn't he there and all. So I want you to kind of just set aside all the things that you think you know and just kind of put that in the parking lot for a little bit. And let's focus on a couple of uh, real big things. So, so what is it that really matters? What happens at Easter? And the fact is that Jesus rose from the dead. And uh, we're going to see some proof today that will help make that um, happen. And, and here's another thing I want to kind of put there. So I want us to hold up that, that if Jesus actually was raised from the dead, if he did what he said he did, then yours and mine as Christians, our entire belief system is put out there. That if Jesus really did that, then, then we've got something great going. If he didn't do that, then, it, then it's all a farce. Then we've had this huge thing pulled over on us and the faith that we confess isn't real at all. So here's the claim uh, that I want us to toss out. Jesus Christ arose bodily from the grave. And that's what Christianity is, is built upon. It's the very heart of the faith that you and I confess. Um, like I said earlier, if, if that didn't happen, uh, then Christianity collapses, then billions of people have been deceived, then we could just uh, pack up and just kind of just go on with life and, and know that the day comes and we die and there's nothing that happens after that. But let's take the position of what the Apostle Paul had to say. Paul wrote these words. He said, if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is worthless. So either the resurrection is, is fact or the resurrection is the most wicked, absurd story that's been told for generations that, that it's a big hoax, a thing that we've always been told, or else it is the greatest miracle in all of history. It's one of those two extremes. It can't be in the middle. It's either a great hoax, it's, it's something that's been pulled over on us, or it's the greatest miracle ever happened that's ever happened in ministry. Jesus did exactly what he said he would do. He said that upon his death, that in three days he would rise and a resurrection would come. 
Luke writes this. Luke says that after Jesus' suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. So Jesus didn't just say the resurrection would happen. He didn't just wait for people to say, hey, did you know that the resurrection happened? He's going to show proof that it happened, and he made that promise. So here are the three things I'm going to leave you with today. Here's the first one, the empty tomb. This is perhaps the foundation of everything in which we believe. And I want to begin here at the empty tomb. It says that when the professional executors came and killed Jesus, that then his body was taken and laid in a tomb. The person's tomb is Joseph, who is from Arimathea. It was a, it was a newly hewn tomb, so, so it wasn't uh, finished yet, but everything had to happen quickly. So we know that also historically that about 100 pounds of spices were placed on Jesus' body. And that was after his body had been quickly wrapped with linen cloths. So about 100 pounds of spices. We also know that a large stone was rolled into place so that nobody could get in and that Jesus certainly couldn't get out. And that stone weighed about two tons. Now, I don't know about any of you all. I can't push two tons. I can't move two tons. I can't lift two tons. Maybe if there were several of us, we might be able to do that, but the odds are we can't. A two-ton stone. If If that didn't make matters incredible, 16 of Rome's finest elite soldiers were posted around the tomb. There was no way that Rome was going to let Jesus' body be stolen because if his body was stolen, guess what? Well, a church would be founded, and they didn't want that. And the religious leaders of Judaism who actually made it happen for Jesus' execution, they didn't want the body to be stolen either. So 16 of Rome's finest soldiers are around that. Let me put that into perspective. We've read about SEAL Team 6 and about how they're like trained uh, killers and, and, and they're going and they make, they make things happen. So these guys were the elite of the elite that were guarding the tomb. Matthew tells us that in, in addition to guards guarding the tomb, that Rome had this all-powerful seal that when Rome, the state of Rome, put the seal on something, that if anybody messed with it, the whole power of Rome would come down on them, that they would have to face the wrath of the entire nation of Rome. So in in spite of all those precautions, in spite of the stone, in spite of the soldiers, in spite of of um, of the seal, the tomb was found empty. And when they arrived there, they saw only one thing as they looked inside, and that was linen cloths that had blood stains on them. But the body of Jesus was almost like it had materialized and that it was gone. So the empty tomb is a powerful testimony of the facts of the resurrection. But critics throughout the years, they, they've kind of made this argument that says, oh, well, there's some, there's some stuff that happened that the tomb really wasn't empty like you think. And here's one of them. They say, well, the disciples stole the body. Now, now think about it. So these were men who, who were cowering because they didn't want to die. And um, these were men that, that basically ran away and, and left Jesus for naught. Peter denied him. Judas had sold him out. The other disciples had run and they were hiding. How could they have mustered the courage to overtake that garrison of Roman soldiers who were highly trained? How could they in their fear have overturned that? There's just no way that could have happened. And how could these weakened spirit men come together in the midst of these 16 soldiers and kind of like get their attention like, hey, here's a Snickers bar, watch over here. And then they roll the stone out of the way and they take the body. Folks, it's just incredible to believe that that could happen. It didn't. 
Others say, well, well, it wasn't the disciples that stole the body. It was actually the, the religious leaders. The religious leaders did that. Because if they could, you know, steal the body of Jesus, then, then all of a sudden that they would have power over this, this small group of people that were claiming he was the Messiah. Okay, well, maybe that's true, but think about it. Then why didn't they parade Jesus' body out in the public? Why didn't they show the dead body of Jesus before everybody say, see, this is your Messiah. He didn't rise from the dead. They couldn't produce the body because Jesus had been raised from the dead and he was not there. So Christianity rises and falls on the empty tomb. It's the one silent, infallible witness that we have as persons of faith. Critics, uh, they can't explain it away. Um, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then, then where is the body? I mean, if you take a look at all the world religious leaders, Mohammed, Buddha, uh, Confucius, all the ones that you might want to say, we know exactly where their bodies are buried. And if we were to dig up their tombs, we'd find their bones, we'd find remains, we'd find where they were in that. But yet when they came to the tomb of Jesus, it was empty. And the empty tomb validates the claim that Jesus made. But as incredible as it may sound, with exactly what I've just told you, Many of the followers of Jesus kind of said, okay, that makes a little bit of sense, but I'm not really sold that, that this whole resurrection thing really happened, that, that Jesus maybe wasn't raised from the dead, and, and maybe something else occurred. Well, let's go to step two. So we have the empty tomb. The next one is we have multiple eyewitnesses. What's an eyewitness? Somebody who sees whatever happened, happened, Right? So multiple eyewitnesses. So the early Christians didn't just believe that because the tomb was empty that Jesus had been raised from the dead. They, they, they wanted more proof, so to speak. And it's ironic whenever you, whenever you listen and whenever you understand what the people who discovered uh, these things about Jesus, you know, what they didn't say was they didn't just go off on the words, well, the tomb was empty. What they said was, I've seen Jesus. I've seen him after. He's been raised from the dead. He was standing there in front of me. And the most outstanding, credible proof of multiple witnesses is the Apostle Paul, as he talked to so many of them, who shortly after Jesus had died and had been raised from the dead, had actually seen Jesus. In fact, the scriptures say that over 500 eyewitnesses saw Jesus on 12 different occasions over a 40-day period after his resurrection. So Paul, uh, Luke writes this, Luke says, after his suffering, Jesus showed himself to these men and he gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. So Jesus is, is meeting with people and he's proving to them, I'm really alive, here I am. He appeared to them over a 40 day period and he spoke about the kingdom of God. So on the day of resurrection on Easter, he sees a woman in the, in, the, in the cemetery. Later that day, he walks through the walls of a closed, sealed room in an upper room. And he's there with his disciples. And he's telling them, touch my wounds. Come see, it's really me. And later that day, he finds himself on the road to Emmaus as two disciples are talking. Two men are talking about what happened to Jesus. And, and he goes in and he breaks bread and discloses. And they see that he really is the Messiah. So several people saw Jesus after his death, after the resurrection, on multiple occasions. And these weren't just uh, people who were believers. These were also people who didn't know Jesus. Some saw him in crowds of people, with crowds of people. Others saw Jesus when they were alone. And, and sometimes they saw him during the night. Other times they saw him during the day. 
But the fact is over 500 people are recorded truthfully in history as seeing Jesus after the resurrection. The Apostle Paul is, is trying to uh, coax the church in Corinth and he's trying to, to help them to, to build upon this faith in a land that has these multiple gods. And Paul is trying to help them to see that the resurrection of Jesus is real and that there's only one true God. And Paul says, for what I've received, I pass on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he appeared to Peter and then to the 12. And then after that, after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of who are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Let me put this into a little bit of a perspective. So let's say that I'm driving down the road and it's late at night, early in the morning, there's nobody else on the road and, and the light is green and I pass through the intersection. As I'm passing through the intersection, another car runs a red light and I end up T-boning them there in the intersection. There's nobody else around, just that other driver and me. When the police come, the police are gonna investigate this accident, right? And the police are gonna say, well, where are the eyewitnesses? Any eyewitnesses? And I'm gonna say, no. It's just me and this other guy, an officer. You know, I had the green light, he had the red, and we, he ran, you know, because of that, he broke the law and caused this accident. What's the police officer going to say? Are you sure about that? Are you sure that you didn't run the red light? There's no witnesses. So the odds are that both of us, both drivers, are going to get a ticket. But let's say that there's one eyewitness. One eyewitness who just finished a deli donut on the corner and saw me drive through the intersection, and it was green, and the other guy, it was red. And then the officer could say to that one witness, what did you see? That witness said, well, uh, that guy over there, Bob, he's telling you the truth. He had the green light. The other guy broke the law. Guess who'd get the ticket? The other guy would. Now, what if there were three eyewitnesses? What if there were 12 or 15? Let's say there's 100 eyewitnesses all standing around this intersection, and they see exactly the same thing that I'm describing to the officer. What if there's 500 eyewitnesses? Are you getting the point? That it's credible, it's incredible when we think about the number of people that saw Jesus and were willing to speak up about that. And, and, and so you, you have that kind of testimony and you bring that forward about the resurrected Christ. You, you have these people who are, who are justifying and saying exactly, I saw this happen. And we would know it to be believable and true. But Paul says that it's not just hearsay, that you could actually go across the street from home to home and home in that time, and you could find people who literally saw Jesus, who literally spoke to him after the resurrection, and who could say, it is real, he has been raised from the dead. Peter, Peter was one of those eyewitnesses, and Peter got up one day, and he preached his first sermon and after summarizing what all had happened and, and what the prophets had written about Jesus, Peter had gotten to the point and, and he preached this great sermon and many converts came to be of the faith, the scriptures say. You can see his sermon notes um, in, in Acts 2.32. And Peter says that God has raised this Jesus to life and we are all witnesses to the fact. You know, Peter says that, that the fact that he's preaching this sermon, that he's preaching it truth. But the interesting thing is he's saying those very words in the spot where Jesus was executed, died and buried in Jerusalem. And Peter has the strength. And Peter knew that he could proclaim the empty tomb, but more importantly, that others would know that because they had seen Jesus as well. Peter later wrote... Um, uh, 
some stuff that appears in scripture and he wants readers to know that, that he didn't make up the resurrection. He didn't make it up. He saw Jesus. He, he talked with him. He walked with him. Uh, Peter says, it's kind of funny. Jesus even fixed me breakfast and he describes the kind of meal that they had. And, and he gets it down to a T. They were there on the beach. And Peter writes, we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses. Say that word, eyewitnesses. We were eyewitnesses to his majesty. Eyewitnesses, empty tomb. Here's the third one, changed lives. So we have the empty tomb, we have multiple witnesses, we have changed lives. This is the one piece of, of, of evidence that I want to convey this morning, and that is changed lives. Those who met the resurrected Jesus, their lives were never the same. Now, we, we comment an awful lot about when the disciples were walking with Jesus and they were seeing the miracles, they were seeing the signs, they were listening to his preaching, they saw everything, they heard what he had to say. Oh my goodness, they must have been believers and followers. It wasn't until after his death and after his resurrection, when they saw his resurrected body, that they began to believe and their lives were changed. What else could take and reorient people who abandon and, and refuse to believe and to step up and run away? What else could reorient them to being bold about their faith and want to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ if it hadn't have been that they had seen Jesus exactly as it was? The scripture says that, that Jesus walked through the walls of this building in an upper room and the disciples and all who were gathered there were filled with awe. They were filled to the extreme of, of everything that they had to see. Now, what about them now? You know, John takes us to the scene uh, in the upper room where, where Jesus appears. And it's in this moment that we know, we know that we know that we know. We know that their lives were changed. John says on the evening of that first day of the week, what we would celebrate as Easter Sunday, when the disciples were together with the doors locked out of fear, Jesus came and stood among them. So there they are, shimmering and shaking, quaking, thinking about, oh no, we're going to be killed too. Our, Jesus is dead. The whole, thing, the whole deal is off. It's a sham. And Jesus is there among them, it says. And listen to the words he says. Peace be with you. Would you be able to say those words, peace be with you, to a bunch of people that abandon you? Heck no. But Jesus says, peace be with you. And then he showed them his hands. He showed them his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. But catch this. When Jesus confronted the disciples, <coughs> the same ones who had followed him, and said, I'll go to, the, to death for you. And then they ran away when he confronted them by their fear and by their inability to be strong in their faith. When he confronted them, instead of rubbing it in, he rubbed it out. He said, peace be with you. He said, peace be with you. That overwhelming peace at that moment, when the disciples heard those words, that overwhelming moment just, just pierced their hearts and it changed and transformed them and took a person like Peter who denied Jesus and made him a pillar of the church that Jesus Christ would build the church upon. These ordinary men and women were, were transformed out of being frightened wimps into one of the most effective missionary teams 
ever assembled in world history. How do we know that? Because they were willing to die for what they believed. How many of us are willing to die for a lie? I don't know anybody who's willing to die for a lie. But I think I know people who are willing to die for the truth. And listen to how the apostles, um, how they were transformed. They, they were transformed from doubt to determination. They were transformed from confusion to conviction, from fear to faith. And they were willing to die for what they believed. Matthew was killed in Ethiopia. Mark was dragged through the streets until he was dead. Peter, Simeon, Andrew, and Philip, they were all crucified. James was beheaded. Bartholomew was flayed alive. Thomas was pierced with lances. James the less was thrown from the temple and then he was stoned to death. Jude, Jude was shot to death with arrows. And Paul, the great apostle Paul, was boiled in hot oil and then he was beheaded. The only thing that could have changed their lives was the fact that they saw Jesus alive. The only thing that could have given them the courage to fulfill the mandate, to go and to make disciples of all, was because the resurrection is real. Every one of these men could have lived had they said just these words, Jesus is dead, but they refused because they knew the truth that Jesus was alive. But here's the last piece of changed lives. It didn't just happen and change lives that third decade of the first century. Billions of people since then, including you and me, we have changed lives because of the resurrection. You and I, we have lives that are new. Jesus Christ has changed us, has transformed us into a new creation. Billions of people from every race, tribe, and language, from every nationality of the world, globally, people have changed lives. So let me ask you, how do you explain the empty tomb? How do you explain the multiple witnesses, over 500 eyewitnesses that saw Jesus alive, both followers and doubters of Jesus? How do you get away from the fact that the resurrected Christ changed lives? You see, it's true. People can try to turn over the resurrection all day long, and even the greatest uh, enemies of our faith will do their very best, but if they will just look at the facts, they will know what you and I know, that Christ died and has risen from the dead, and they too shall believe.